recording has started. Okay, Lisa, good good morning. It's nice to see you. Good morning, so, James. I'd like to take some time with you this morning to really delve into your background and more importantly, delve into this exciting journey that you're on with, with Repath. So it's hugely exciting scale up climate tech business. So I think I want to really understand where you guys are headed. I know people are going to be really interested. One of the first things I want to talk to you about, people are going to be interested in that transition you've made in your career from a very corporate world into this scale up, very different world. And I think one of the things that I know a lot of people I speak to are really interested in right now is people are kind of getting fed up with the um, almost mundane, purposeless selling of technology that might not really fix a problem. And people are really mm -hmm. keen to go and do something with a mission and it's tech for good and all this stuff. So people find climate tech really interesting. So I think there'll be there'll be a narrative there around how you found that transition and, and the sorts of people you look for. So would it be all right to put you on the spot straight away and just ask you about the journey you've been on, how you've gone from this corporate world into a very different world that you're in now? Yes, I'm very happy to share that. All right, um, it is a journey that's when I when I talk about it makes me um, each time a little bit excited again and also proud. So yeah, I started my career after I've been studying international business and management um, and have always been like an international kid. So I was traveling. I knew I want to work international with a lot of different cultures. And I also knew before I started studying already that I have to beating hearts in my chest, one is sales and one is leadership. So with that, no, or with with me knowing that already, I chose international business and management and um, that was definitely the right study. And afterwards I joined German Railways. Mm -hmm. To be very honest, it was an internship first and I was like, wow, this will be extremely boring. I didn't even feel like doing that. Right. Um, <laughs> but, I was extremely surprised by the uh, yeah beautiful organization that I experienced and by the amazing leaders and um, yeah so I built up uh, German railways uh, like the heavy maintenance I started actually um, I built up uh, the international sales team and developed um, internationalization strategies um, and that was a lot of fun. But that wasn't enough for me looking at international business. So I moved um, from that German railway company to German railway engineering consulting operations. That was another international arm that uh, sold services from Germany to the international customers. So other train um, operators, um, for example. And after eight months, in the sales team, uh, I started um, as an assistant of the managing director of the international business, and that was a hell of a ride, I can tell you. Like, uh, they were not really nice. I, I slept, so it was very intense, but I uh, enjoyed every bit of it because I learned so much and I was lucky. And this is also something I want to always shout out it's, it's also about being visible, right? You need to be at the right spot to be mm -hmm. seen surrounded by the right people that see you and support you so i was lucky to be in that spot 
because the managing director was my boss and uh, mm-hmm. all the other head of the departments were working with me. So after eight months, I got offered um, to lead a sales team. And I honestly kind of fell from the chair um, that they entrusted me with that. Yeah. I was um, 22, I think, wow. during wow. that time. And officially the youngest um, manager within German Railways company that I was working with. Um, so, yeah, I was extremely scared. Uh, that was nothing I felt like I can do. Yeah. Um, but I took on that challenge mm-hmm. and it was a beautiful experience. And I started building up and leading my first small sales teams. And within the next, uh, I think it was another six years in the sales department, um, I had various different teams and jobs and was lucky to develop Classically on that career ladder, you know, um, got my steps up and up um, and was also, honestly, and it was timing. I was surfing that whole female leadership wave. I mean, it's still on, but it started to be on um, like those five years ago or something. And um, German Railways itself needed to and wanted to kind of put female leaders, which were very few existent overall in a very manly dominated world, like railways is not a necessarily female what, what's business. The sort of ma- what's the um, male-female ratio at this time? How, how many, fe- you know, typically in the business, are we talking, you know, sub 5% female? To be honest, I don't know over the all employees, but in management, so in the management uh, hierarchy where I was in, I was the only female within another 25 male leaders, and I was the youngest. Yeah, Um, that's uh, how my, I always joke that my specialty is white men mid-50s because (laughs) of these experiences. but yeah, it was also hard. Yeah, it was not an easy, even though I was positioned well and I got a lot of support to earn the respect in such a male dominated world with also other generations, other values those mm. individuals had, other leadership experience and, and, and frameworks they were following. That was really, really hard. Mm. But I um, enjoyed, enjoyed every step of it because it led me to an immense growth. Um, up to the point that the last two years, I think I was at German Railways, I was the director of international sales and I had like 45 sales departments worldwide in the government under my my leadership. And I was leading directly three big sales teams in the headquarters in Berlin. I was traveling to one or two countries every every week, which looking at it now from sustainability perspective is horrible yeah and um, I flew to one meeting which was one and a half hours I flew to China and then back but um, luckily these times are over but I am also happy that I gained all of these experiences to be very honest um yeah so that was the corporate world but after all of these years and being officially like a female leadership mentor, I had mentees, I, I gave talks, I talked about leadership, um, I got a lot of training, further development, I had a coach, I had mentors myself, so I was really amazingly taken care of, but I started, while I started to become more and more clear who I am and what my leadership style is and where I want to go, 
I understood that certain values and the, the, the culture in that company does not really align with me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, yes, I had a lot of freedom and space to develop, um, but it also wasn't enough any anymore for me. So I felt like, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I need to do something bigger, something more. Uh, and I wanted to have a PNL, like a profit and profit and loss direct yeah. accountability, and move out of headquarters. So we had clear um, a path forward for me. I was supposed to become the regional head of Southeast Asia with a location in Singapore, and I was really excited about that. But then COVID hit, uh, right. or COVID um, influences made that position non-existent anymore so I felt I was a bit stuck and all the other options I received were just not talking to me like really they were good options I got good job offers uh, and I earned quite a lot of money to be honest mm. also uh, where I was can, can, I, can I ask you d- during this time what, what, what's, yes. what's been like the, what you've just described there that feels like almost every day the, the odds are kind of stacked against you. You, 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 you know, you're, you're early stage of your career. You're a female in a very male-dominated industry. Your peer group are maybe in a different part of their career to you, and they look at problems and business challenges with slightly different from a different angle. What was actually stopping you from just going, "Hey, I quit. Like, I'm just going to go do something else," because this is just hard business is hard to begin with and then I've got all these other factors that are making my life difficult what was your what was your why at that time why did you do that for so long no I also had great great pleasure and and still learned a lot in the job I was in so Mm. basically I would have I would have gotten to that point yeah sooner or later for sure but I wasn't there yet it was more like hey I'm open to something else I feel I want to develop in another direction, but I wasn't clear. Is it within the company? Is it outside? So I was in this transition inner moment, so to say. Yeah. And one funny part of that is that actually my coaching that was paid from German Railways, I'm actually not sure if they know that, if I ever told them that. So my coach (laughs) was supposed to coach me to have more political correctness. So I had a challenge with, because my mouth, like I'm, uh, I'm not political correct in a hierarchical big organization like German Railways. Uh, I mean, I can be, but I decided that I don't want to be because if things just don't work the way they should, or I believe like really fact driven, we should do something else. No one is shutting up my mouth. Yeah. And that's what sometimes they try to do. And so I was a little bit the, um, How do you say that in English? The the, the wild uh, problem kid, you know? Well, yeah, like management like the, meetings, yeah, strategy yeah, yeah. meetings, all males, everyone is according to plan and nodding that this is the right way. And I'm like, no, this doesn't make sense. People, you know, that doesn't make sense. We need to do this and that and that. And we actually agreed something else. And where are the consequences? And so that didn't fit into the culture overall. Yeah, just individuals. My boss really appreciated that, but not the overall organization. Uh, and my coach was supposed to to coach me to get better in that. Instead, we figured out, okay, I need to actually journey where was. And that was the phase I was in. And then 
um, simultaneously. And now I'm switching to why I am where I am now. So during that time, it was early 2021, actually. Um, I was becoming more and more aware of the influences of climate change. So more and more extreme weather events happened worldwide. You saw it in the news, you know, wildfires, flooding, storms. And um, I was thinking, how come that in feasibility studies for new railway infrastructure, which I was selling globally as one of the <laughs> offers from German railways, how come we look at every butterfly, every crumb of soil and analyze that to make a selection or a decision which is the best side? But not future climate risk. Like that just doesn't make any sense. It didn't mm-hmm. make sense for me. And then the Atal event happened. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, but in early summer, uh, I think June, July 2021, um, the biggest flooding event uh, in Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, happened. And actually a lot of railway infrastructure got destroyed. And German railways had billions of damages and uh, downtimes. So then it was much more clear for me, okay, we must do something. And in my responsibility was also the portfolio management. So what do we package from Germany um, and sell it internationally? And then what do we add on top? Like what other company services could maybe complement that portfolio? So with my portfolio management team, I was looking for solutions. And I love this story because my now three co-founder colleagues pitched the idea of Repa to me with my portfolio team Um, in July 21, while I was still director of international sales of German railways. And to be very honest, it became very clear fast that this is nothing that could be useful for German railways yet because it was the idea phase, so not ripe enough yet. But I sat there and I just felt... I, I, I told you earlier, I didn't feel a pull to job offers I got at German Railways. Um, and there I felt it. It was like a strong pull. I was so yeah. inspired by the idea and also by the three individuals of their maturity, how they, what value set they have. And, and I just intuitively felt there is something that I need to explore. Yeah. So I called um, the CEO, Julius Pröll afterwards and he got nervous like oh was the pitch not good um you know he wasn't sure what i want from him and i'm like no it was it was very good but i need to see you let's meet up there is something else that we're going to develop together he was really confused um, by this call i can understand that and but i also didn't know yet what it was um and i drove to hamburg and i took a day off i informed my boss about it actually but no one else knew and yeah I looked in that company and their idea and their business plan and their vision. And then I pitched um, that they need me. Um, So they not only need a female founder um, to have different perspectives and more diverse team in order to make better decisions, but they also needed my experience and competence set of sales, leadership, marketing, international business, uh, et cetera. Because there so, are so the, mainly at, the, at this stage, these are just like kind of a, group, a small group of technical people who've got an idea. They've got a 
piece of software basically and they don't know how to take it to market yes exactly but they didn't have the piece of software yet they basically had the idea they started coding but there was okay. nothing, nothing visible and right. they also didn't found the company yet they were just applying for the first grant so that was the stage and so i pitched myself we we connected all of us and they came back to me a couple of days later with an offer um to yeah for me to become the fourth and last co-founder and i just jumped right in and in august 21 repath was founded uh, in october i left german not true in october i started reducing the hours because i actually had six months of, of cancellation period mm. at german railways i was out of um i was ha having a special leadership contract uh, so i was lucky, however, that my my boss, who was always supporting me, found good options to get me out faster. And I had like a, a quarter where I worked both in German wow. Airways and in Repath. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that they let me do that is, is amazing. And then uh, January 2022, I started full time. So how, 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 do you, how did you mentally make that leap of faith? Because that's one of the things lots of people find hard. You've got like let's say the security if you like of a huge corporation that you're very well established in you've got all the customers and you know you're doing great and you've been there for a long time and all these great things and then you make this leap into the founder bit and I know it comes from in here because it's kind of like resonated with your your heart and it's what you want to go at but even I'm sure from a some you know a financial point of view you've left a very lucrative job to something that could lucrative maybe it is maybe you know it's how do you do that how, how do you mentally make make that jump yeah that's a very good question um well i think i am as a character having quite some male characteristics of taking risks easily for example um and being very confident in what i can do and what i want to do uh, there's also a certain stubbornness if I want to do something I just go for it um, and that certainly is helping me in my career now I do find this also I have a lot of female characteristics like uh, you know that this pull towards this purpose towards that there is another there is another impact I could help with even though German wear was also a good product right it's uh, mm -hmm. also a sustainable thing to do but that I follow my heart and my intuition. Uh, and that combination um, helped me do that. Uh, I would love to see that in general, more female characteristics are appreciated more in big organizations and leadership, because I certainly know without my strongly male characteristics that I for some reason have as a person, um, I would not have survived back then in that environment. Mm -hmm. But yeah. anyways, <laughs> Anyways, I think this leap of faith and the trust in my skills and that I want to risk it and also honestly knowing I had a very good career until then. So I knew I could come back. I was anyways in good terms with German Airways. They, they, they tried to keep me there. So I knew if I fail, I will easily find a job um, again. So why not just try? Um, and yes, financially, just to also emphasize that point, that was really hard. So 
compared to back then, I earn half now. Right. Um, and the first four months I started working at Repath, I didn't earn for three months, didn't earn anything. Right. Okay. Um, they because they received the grants they applied for. However, that grant had only three spots for co-founders and I was the fourth. And so I actually applied for jobless money, which was extremely weird to do for me. Like I'm a successful entrepreneur and leader. And I even told them, you know, this is my situation and stuff. But since I quit my contract at German Railways, I got blocked for three months. So three months, I didn't have any money. And then I got another three months or four months money from the German job center <laughs> because wow. before Repath could actually pay me. Yeah. And, and what, what are your family and friends saying to you at this point? Are they like, what are you doing? Or are they kind of understanding the, you know, the bigger vision and the bigger picture? What, what's happening at this time? I think there were always two sides of people looking at me. One, once I was, she, she's crazy. Like, what, what is she doing? You know? Um, and the other side, yeah. She will manage. I believe in her and there, there is nothing that could stop her anyway. So it was like this, this mixture of that. Um, and my close friends and family decided they have no other chance than just supporting me and believing in me. And so it was fine. Yeah. So what, what's happened since then? So, you know, I can see just from talking to you that you use passion and you use confidence. So clearly things are going in the, in the, in the direction that you want. So where have you been able to take the business and where are you at now? Where are you headed? Yeah, um, so two years. Um, that that journey is already even longer, but full time two years ongoing. And I haven't regret my decision in one second. I can say that even though the journey has been and still is extremely hard having our own business. Um, even if I now I'm responsible for less right now, uh, contract volumes maybe, or less high level customers compared to German railways, but you know that your money is running out. You have a mm. runway left. You have a team that you employ that you're responsible for, and that only will remain to get their salaries if, <laughs> if the company is successfully growing. So this pressure in an existential way is crazy but also gives you a whole other level of learning curve and entrepreneurial spirit. So looking at the journey, um, well, there was nothing at Repath when we started. It was us four sitting in a weird office in, in Hamburg. Um, and we acquired the first contract through connections. We set up our first MVP with the help of Tableau. So it wasn't even ours. It was it was really weird. But uh, the climate data and that is our core. Yeah. So we've been kind of founded from science. And two of my four uh, of my three co-founders are from a scientific background and have been working in science for many, many years. And our goal was to really bring science into the world and mm -hmm. enable everyone without having any scientific background to understand what is going on what will be going on and what does that mean and how to actually adapt that was what we knew back then uh, strategy wise we're now somewhere else but we knew this is the purpose yeah to to enable society 
to adapt to to climate change for mm-hmm. a more livable world. That was the starting purpose that we had. That was extremely motivating. And yeah, we um, got some grants. We had our first contract. We successfully raised our pre-seed round um, in 2022 in November, 1.2 million. And then we started hiring people. Now we have a team of 14 people actually um, and are growing. And that is, of course, just a very short story of all of that. But it has been a crazy way up and down. Um, so many mistakes you do. So many times you think, okay, we, we really fail. Oh, we are so successful. No one can stop us. And it is just very unstable path, um, but a beautiful as well. And yeah, have, now, you, have you been able to, along that journey, you know, it's only a short amount of time, but how have you mentally been able to go from having certainty i know there's no certainty in business but certainty the big corporate to what what you described there small business fail and fail fast make lots of mistakes learn from the mistakes but you know you talked about like we signed our first customer we got through some funding rounds you know we were able to get some grants and and each of those things will have felt like a tremendous win but imagine in the Mm -hmm. build-up to those decisions being awarded to you you'd have probably been under a hell of a lot of stress and, and pressure and you talked about the, you know, the, the cash flow and all that stuff of a small business. How, how did you manage that in, in your own mind without, you know, uh, being, being feeling too pressured and too stressed? Yeah, that's a beautiful question because I want to link it also to, in comparison to German Railway. So as I said, one of my passions is leadership and also like organizational development culture And I truly believe in order to do all of that, you need a certain culture that can hold you. Mm -hmm. And and in German railways, I felt a lot of times, and a lot of corporates have that, right? It's not German railways. There is business math. There is a culture of this is how professional behavior looks like. This is how, you know, we want you to act and be. While the actual human being has feelings and emotions and days where we can focus well and days where we are having a low energy and we actually cannot focus that whole concept of working eight hours a day and all of that it just doesn't make sense if you look at us as a human being so I wanted to create a culture where the individuals can thrive and be authentic and that is mentally much more healthy as well as it it is more intrinsically motivating So I think, coming back to your question, we could actually, in that culture, hold us together, meaning Mm -hmm. that we shared our existential fears, our frustrations, our successes. I've been crying with the whole team when I, you know, I'm sharing um, my personal problems that obviously influence my performance at work. And all of that we brought in we could support each other because the likelihood that all people at the same time are not in a good state is is not very likely. So when you share that and are vulnerable and honest, um, you actually get support and someone else can pull you in and they and we have each other's backs. And if I started doubting, what are we doing? Will we survive? Maybe we go bankrupt. Then someone else of the team was like, no, 
we will do this. We can do it. We believe in it. It's, you know, we will manage. Look at our purpose, etc. So it was, and that all gave gave a culture and basically a space, a psychological safe space to hold it with all of that risk and uncertainty. And that is very beautiful. And we still have that. And I appreciate it every day. Amazing, amazing. So how you've 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 grown the team, and this this sounds this sounds still exciting. So how do you find how do you unlock that and find that with people? So you you know you interview people to come and join a corporate environment, and to, to your point, it's a little bit like are you going to fit in our culture, which is quite rigid, and you kind of do, not mm. do what we say, but you will look a certain way and behave a certain way, and in an environment like yours, it's very much maybe a bit more. You're looking, I don't know, you're looking for creative behaviours or cer- certain things that maybe is quite difficult to spot in people. So how, how, how have you actually done that when you're scaling the, the team? What, you know, what, what do you actually look for? Yes. So one first base parameter that's important to share is um, we are a remote first company, mm-hmm. meaning that we can work from wherever. Best is Europe, but I told you I'm in Tel Aviv, right? Right now so I don't fit in that um, and therefore we have much more access to talents right so that is the first layer and then we actively in our job descriptions um, communicate that we are looking for purpose-driven individuals that are that want to work in a new work environment so we consider ourselves as a new work company following that approach even though there's a big a long road to to actually get there and develop that but that we only want people that are looking for that as well to thrive and work in a culture where we talk about emotions we do check-ins we give regular feedbacks we are vulnerable um, and we want to bring the whole human being in so by that um, we get a lot of amazing applicants to be honest Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have a specific hiring process that is much longer. Um, it's exhausting sometimes, but we have many, many different steps looking at different fits. So we do look at the competence fit, of course. Yeah. But we look at the purpose fit. We look at the organizational fit. We look at the team fit. And then we have an overall fit meeting with a whole team. And... Every team member is um, challenging the applicant, asking questions and afterwards gives a vote whether to hire or not, looking at the fit categories. And that has been extremely successful, I can say, because we find the individuals that have fit to us, but also the team is extremely excited because it's, it's also basic psychology. If you involve your team in decision-making, they're more accepting the decision itself. And it turns out yeah. they're extremely excited that the member the new member is joining and they were part of that decision and do you, do you think you'll be able to do that as you as you grow so you know say you get to 40 staff 50 staff how are you going to be able to, it feels like that's a really effective way of working now at the numbers you're at how are you going to maintain that great culture that you've built up because that again is a huge challenge of scale-ups isn't it like keeping that great culture that you nurture initially in in the long term well, first of all, many questions for the future I can answer with, I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, cross the bridge when you get there. Um, 
but I think it is a combination out of holding on to your core values and goals while being very pragmatic and understanding what is actually possible. So probably in the future, it will not be the whole team of Repath, but maybe the the smaller circle, the team that actually mm-hmm. the person will be in. Uh, we will need to hire someone because right now, or in the past, I was holding and doing this process. I really wouldn't know how to do that. I am sales and managing director. I don't have time for this. So we will find ways to do that. And maybe it's one step left in the process and we shorten the meetings. I don't know, but we will find ways. Um, we will not let go of that overall. Well, that's good. And how how important is it that um, you, you did? You said purpose was a really big one for you. How important is it that people are genuinely connected to protecting the environment and and uh, reducing climate change and making that impact? Is is that like how high is that on your your agenda when you when you're looking at bringing people in? Very high, very high. Um, I think in the end, it also, of course, a software developer that is a freelancer or maybe, you know, it has very specific development skills. It might be rated a little bit lower than a strategic uh, business developer or whatever. Um, But in general, this is really important for us. And in the interviews, if we see, we also ask, what are your individual sustainability actions? Like, how do you deal with that? And if we don't get the impression that this is a important topic for them, now regardless of how important, but important, then uh, they wouldn't continue the process at all. It, regardless of the competence fit. That's amazing, isn't it? That you know, that, and I think that's something really special, particularly about you know climate tech as as a broad sector, as it as it grows, it's really pulling in like-minded people. So when we talk about that culture bit that almost looks after itself. I know it always needs work and it needs nurturing, but the starting point is really, really strong because you've got people that are connected already by a purpose and then you're actually going out into the wider world and and the business world and and doing good. Yes, definitely. And I want to even add that um, I told you about the different steps of the fits that we're checking in the hiring process and the purpose fit is done first. So I interview the people of the purpose fit and I don't know tech competencies, right? Like yeah. I am not hiring them for me, all of them, but I can kick them out of the process if I don't see a purpose fit. And only afterward, we do the competence fit in a deeper level. So that's really a decision making gate, so to say. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really good one. Can 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 I ask you a bit about the um, being a female leader? Because I know that's something that is quite yes. you know particularly in software and technology quite unusual and unfortunately it has been for a, for a long time i think we're seeing change and i don't know about you but i do find that a lot of i'm seeing a lot more particularly in climate you know leaders or people at um senior levels in companies that there is a lot more representation from from females which is fantastic so how how you know what are the challenges for you have you found that um what's what's that been like and and what you you know what are you trying to bring to future females within technology through through your leadership um yeah so it is challenging because you're always one of the few mm. also you you could imagine then that, that the startup worlds and co- female co-founders 
are more because it's modern, it's new companies that are building up compared to corporate female leaders, maybe. But as a matter of fact, that's not the case. <laughs> companies that are being founded, I don't have the numbers uh, by heart now, um, but there are crazy studies out there. Um, there are so few female founders compared to male founders or mm -hmm. even mixed uh, founding teams. Also, there are extremely few female founder CEOs. And so it is out there and it is a, it is developing, but it is shocking that it is not there yet as you would expect. So you were always a little bit the unique person. Yeah. You were, um, you need to fight a little bit for your position, but in a different way. Um, but I think I also got really used to it. So mm -hmm. what I would recommend future female founders female leaders is like just really find the confidence in themselves of what they want to represent what they what are their values what are they thriving for and knowing that yeah it's it's hard it will be hard it's it's, it's probably challenging but the competencies the perspectives the thoughts the energy that females bring in is extremely necessary and brings better decisions and performance and that is also proven yeah so being different having a different way of working and thinking feels weird sometimes but if we if we really don't forget that this is what is needed and that you know then i think we can gain that confidence in there and establish our position i also think and would recommend to really get support like from coaches from mentors i learned a lot from having female leader mentors that yeah. um, i could share my insecurity with and i could uh, get support in my way of acting and how specific situations um I, I i could deal with them better so that is something the network of female leaders by itself is, is helping that shared experience that motivation that someone is pulling you up someone has your back and you can get advice i think that i think that's re really good and, and a, a real obvious question in that mentor bit and i imagine lots of people it's it's a really great idea but i imagine lots of people might sit there and kind of go how do i actually get one what you know do, do i just ask somebody so what what you know somebody might not have the confidence to find approach somebody and ask them so I'm assuming you've, you you've answered this question might be like just do it just ask them and so, you know you've got nothing to lose but what what would you say to somebody who's might who maybe doesn't have the confidence to <clears throat> to speak up or reach out what do you think they could do um yeah there are actually great platforms of coaches and mentors where some are for free some you pay money for that's a decision I think if you're lacking maybe the confidence to search someone in the industry or in the company mm -hmm. you're in or or just externally um doing that then um you can pay for it and that is also helping um but i really would suggest like finding that confidence or or understanding what the person needs to find that confidence also for example i did a lot of therapy yeah i'm mm -hmm. a big mental health um advocate and that was also definitely helping me. So whatever external support that is to to find 
your version of yourself you want to be in to make the next step. I think that is the first step. And then finding the experiences and the support network that helps you get there yeah. is, is probably the second step. Yeah. And first, it's a more individual therapeutical or coaching support when not already being that person that has the certain confidence needed. Because in the end, of course, you need to somewhat be confident and be risky and be a little bit brave. And those are not always the, the characteristics that are the easiest to have or naturally as females have. Um, so that is the core, I think. I think I've, I've learned one thing from talking to you, Lisa, that's really um, consistent through, through everything you say. And you talk a lot about... Um, you know leaning on the people around you and getting strength from other people and I've never really heard somebody talk in that way before a lot of times people talk about business or or sales is it feels quite lonely and it's about you've got to go and hit these targets and you've got to go do these meetings and you're accountable and all this stuff whereas you seem to somebody who can who, who isn't afraid to be vulnerable but also isn't afraid to lean on the people around you and, and actually we'll talk really openly that the reason not the reason but a, a huge part of your success has been because you've been able to get strength from those around you and that's really interesting, really refreshing. Yeah, thank you, James, for saying that. Um, and it made me just think of one more thing. I was never afraid to lose people on this journey. And I think that is something that people need to be aware of. Regardless of corporate career or startup career, the higher you go or the more unique maybe you are in your individual behavior, and you will lose people that are different, that might find your behavior. In my case, my vulnerability, my emotions, weird. A lot of times people laugh about me and say, too much information, Lisa, why are you telling me that? And I'm like, yeah, well, because it's important to me. Yeah, because that's me. Um, or people also told me, like, like I don't need to do with your emotions like I don't need to know what what problems you have at home just do your job yeah, yeah. well I'm obviously not really connected to those anymore anymore but if you're clear with what you want to represent and yes I want to be a vulnerable authentic leader and I can cry with my team and I can scream and be angry by the way with them as well together and sometimes I'm calling my team members and I'm like I feel like I need to puke you know can I emotionally just shout because my day was so horrible and we do that and support each other and it feels good um if you know that you want to behave in a certain way and you just do it you will be fine with losing people with people maybe smiling at you or questioning you and you gain people that are alike and it's so much fun i i heard a lovely quote recently that i really liked and somebody was asked what's you you know what's your greatest strength and that's quite a you know common question isn't it that, that you hear people ask and the person's answer was that their greatest strength was their authenticity and I just thought that was yeah. really empowering and, and lovely and almost saying like yeah totally just be yourself and people are either going to love you for it or they hate you for it and it's no problem it's and, and exactly. maybe something in, in the middle but it's no problem but the most important thing is your you and uh, you know I, I love that I really loved what you said there okay so 
one last question for you. I'm really keen to know a bit more about Repath, where you guys are going, what's the journey? I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Um, you know, where are you, where are you headed? What, what's the vision for you guys? Yes, no, I'm happy you asked that question because you're right. I talked a lot about leadership, uh, purpose and whatnot. And I'm also in a lot of meetings and I'm a pure <laughs> salesperson right now. And my business and the performance is extremely important for me as well. Yeah, so it's not just one side. So Repath is <clears throat> a climate risk and adaptation solution, meaning that we look at future climate risks and understand what that means looking at the impact and find adaptation measures for it. And we do that very focused right now for the energy utility sector. Um, the reason is that we believe, actually we know that it is not enough to understand how is a specific location, yeah, for example, your house, affected in the next 20, 50, 100 years, how hot will it be? How much, how much precipitation will it be? Is there a risk of flooding, wildfires, etc.? That's amazing to know and important mm -hmm. to know. But the question then is, to make a simple example, what is the building structure of your house? Is it a wooden house? Is it a, a concrete house? What roof does it have? What shadings does it have, etc.? And combining that, the asset itself, with the climate happenings on the site is bringing a deeper understanding of the actual asset risk and vulnerability. And this is what we're doing for energy. And we consider ourselves uh, as energy leader because no one has done that in the level of depth that we're doing it right now. And we have been proven to be in the leading path because we are, we won um, two different challenges against our competition, uh, both in the energy sector, one in Israel, and we gained a customer in Nell, who is the Italian main utility, and one uh, we won in Germany, uh, which was an Eon-specific um, challenge, mm -hmm. and we won it as well, and we're the set solution uh, within Eon groups, and so that mm -hmm. has been a tremendous success. And we are rolling out now in uh, within Aon the different subsidiaries, um, as well as within Enel, we are having a huge pipeline of super interesting, um, exciting energy utilities within Europe. So right now we still focus on Europe. Our solution, however, works globally, so it doesn't matter. It's just our go-to market. And so looking at the strategy and vision, we want to strengthen our position in the energy sector with really understanding the necessary depth of assets that it needs mm -hmm. to, um, that we need to reach in order to provide the maximum clarity and value on the customer side. Um, and then we will move to a different industry, which okay. will be mobility. We're, yeah, and then we will do the same, like we replicate the approach. So then we will look at the mobility assets, um, railway, et cetera, to do the same and become leader there as well. And that we will do hopefully many, many times um, to be leading in many industries while developing our solution further in different areas. One is um, we want to combine more other data sets with our 
climate data. So we use regional climate model data and the ensemble approach. Um, so it's the best granularity and approach to work with uh, tons of different data points for climate modeling. Um, and we want to combine more data sets, such um, as we already combined elevation data, we want to have satellite data, geospatial data, etc., to get more granular understanding. Uh, while we also combine AI with our approach, yeah. So while we go down into the assets, we are currently working already um, on our AI co-pilot. That will be the adaptation engine, yeah. But it needs oh. to be the right point in time because only if we really understand what the asset risks are, um the engine can then make real concrete adaptation measures to adapt and therefore bring really the assets into climate resilience. And that's our goal, to get closer and closer to our purpose. You, you guys are on such an amazing journey. It sounds just so exciting what, what, what you're doing. To, to put you on the spot again a, a little bit from a cl you know, climate point of view, and I know you're not a climate scientist and and so on but how how important do you think it is that people take action i know the answer to this question is it's really important we need to take action but you know seriously is, uh, uh, is this something that needs to happen tomorrow is you know people got time to think about or you know businesses got time to think about this or do we, do we need to be like hitting this hard like quickly mm. I truly believe, but I'm not objective, obviously, but I believe it needs to be tomorrow. Why? Because everyone is blind. Mm. There are only a few companies or individuals that location or asset specific. Of course, there are flooding maps, there are heat maps, but it's not enough. You really need to look at the spot and it's really different. So I believe the transparency yeah, from being blind to actually see what is going to happen in different scenarios, right? Um, that is something that needs to happen now. Mm. Why? Because not everything is at risk. That does not mean that you need to act upon directly, yeah? At E.ON, overall, in the end, we will look at 1 million assets or more than 1 million assets. No, E.ON does not need to invest in all of them in the next five years because what our solution does is also to prioritize and to filter aha uh -huh, those 200 are at risk in the next couple of years so please put your focus here first and yeah. invest and adapt and then you have a road and a journey so only when you start looking at it now you know which one are at risk tomorrow next year two three years and which uh, might be not affected at all yeah and then you start the journey from there yeah and that's much better than arriving in the future and being like hey here's a load of problems you need to fix them all you know it's better to, yeah yeah that totally makes sense awesome lisa it's been absolute pleasure talking to you if you just bear with me for one second i'm just going to stop the recording so i want to say a big thank you for taking the time